It's a special edition of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Coming up, we talk Thailand with their World Cup campaign here in Canberra. Stick around. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. We are here in Canberra, uh, not too far away from Manuka Oval, where Thailand have just finished up their second match of their campaign, taking on England. Uh, England won the match by 98 runs. But before we do look into that match, as well as the Thailand campaign, uh, it's time to introduce the two men who are beside me here in the hotel room of our special guest, Ooh. First, introducing one of the regulars to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, better known by many on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm very well. Just had a full day of cricket. Um, probably the best media experience I've ever had, and I've covered a few associate tournaments, so this is exciting. I've got to say that the media feed today was right up there. We had a selection of sandwiches, wraps, there was a bit of sushi, the proper sushi, uh, a couple other little bits and pieces, which I was very excited about. Filled my boots up. You know, they, they do say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but we made the most of it today. Uh, Nick, I'm sure you agree. It's probably a good time now to introduce our special guest. He's given up his hotel room for the evening just to record this pod uh, to give us some peace and quiet from, well, the very vibrant city of Canberra. And I say that with as much sarcasm as I can uh, put together. It's uh, Thailand's media manager, uh, for the tournament, and one of Emerging Cricket's very own Nishad Rego. Nishad, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, how's the experience been with the Thailand team, and, and how have you found the Canberra nightlife? <laughs> what Canberra nightlife? Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's great to be on the pod. I have listened to many an episode, uh, and uh, it's great to put faces to names after lots of social media back and forths and lots of whatsapp chats um yeah look it's been a surreal experience for for everyone involved with the thailand cricket team uh no one really knew what to expect at this level both on the field and off it uh indeed uh thailand only really worked out that they needed a media manager about a month ago and uh so I was quickly called up to make my second debut for Thailand, and here I am. Uh, it must be mentioned now that you have, in fact, represented the Thailand men's team in international cricket as well. They haven't exactly hit the heights as the uh, women's team here qualifying uh, in a World Cup in, in unbelievable circumstances. How would you describe your uh, your playing days with Thailand? What do you what do you bowl? What, what do you like with bat in hand? Oh, I used to bowl the old... Uh the old left arm ortho, you know, oh, bit of, bit of... The cheat code, <laughs> the Tim Cutlers. The Tim Cutlers, as as they call them these days. Yeah, bit of drift, bit of turn. Uh, one, you know, about a game every year, which was uh, <laughs> which was something to celebrate. Um, but, uh, you know, a bit of nostalgia, seeing, seeing, uh, seeing the colours again on the field. Um, of course, the girls are, uh, are much better. Uh, <laughs> there's no other way to put it, really. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be back. You know, he is a regular listener of the EC Pod. When we were talking about, you know, how we're going to introduce him tonight, and he's like, "Oh, are you going to do that special guest thing where you go, <laughs> oh, like to everyone else?" So sure thank much. you, 
thank you for being not only a, a valuable contributor to the emerging cricket movement and also a keen listener of the podcast as well. Let's talk about Thailand's campaign thus far. And we did see the defeat at the WACA uh, to the West Indies. And today we saw, well, I think Thailand controlled the game for about two overs of the uh, 40 that were played out. Uh, but there were certainly a few shock waves that were sent through the England camp after being seven for two. And after their defeat to South Africa a few days ago, I'm sure there was a, a few people in there set up panicking. I have to tell you, Nish, um, that while we were in the media centre, which was dominated uh, by quite a big uh, English group, or at least you know uh, several pockets of, of English media, when that second wicket fell, there was an audible gasp in that room and then afterwards just complete silence you could hear a pin drop and I was worried that someone was going to hear my fist pumping you know in the corner of the room I know we are trying to be impartial here but to see a team like Thailand compete on the world stage I just can't help but give them some sort of support afterwards it, it was one-way traffic uh, we saw an unbelievable innings particularly from Heather Knight making 108 not out of 66 balls 13 fours four sixes uh, Nat Siver was a great foil for her, 59 not out of 52 balls. It is a weird scorecard if, if you're reading it. Um, you know, Jones, Nort, two balls, stumped uh, off the bowling of Buchatam, who we were lucky to, to catch up with after the game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then Danny Wyatt out to a really good catch, actually, at, at cover uh, by Langpreset. It was, it was a strange feeling watching Thailand just you know, put the brakes on England early afterwards, you know, it was, as I said, one-way traffic. I do want to go back a little bit, though. Thailand actually won the toss and elected to bowl, Nish, and, and you told us the, the reasoning off-air before we recorded tonight. You know, we were thinking that the, the, the scenario for Thailand to get anything out of the game today would be to potentially bat first, make a score circa around three figures, maybe 110, 115, and then squeeze England with, with some tight bowling, take a couple of quick wickets, like they did today, albeit in a, in a first innings. What was the thinking behind winning the toss and bowling today? Yeah, perhaps perhaps this was a, a, a slightly defensive decision, but um, the, the thinking in the dressing room was that England, uh, after their loss against South Africa, would probably need to win this game by a big margin. And uh, the coaches felt that uh, with our with Thailand's ability with the ball and in the field, we've seen them strangle good opposition before, Sri Lanka in 2018, even the Windies in the last game, that uh, if England wanted to go for the big, you know, 180, 200 kind of score, that it would be possible perhaps to to get some wickets early, perhaps a run, effect a run out or two and, and, and have them under the pump. And uh, again, we've seen Thailand chase small totals in the past. That win against Sri Lanka comes to mind. So so that was kind of the logic behind it. Of course, it didn't work out in the end. We we were wondering, you know, what the thought behind it was. And then, you know, it took Nisha's explanation for us to be uh, on side with it because that was... I think when, when he put it to us, he convinced both of us that it, it was a good idea. Uh, looking back and, and seeing the way England went about it, um, after that pressure, we know the bowling, which is such a strength of, of Thailand's game, they did let England off the hook a little bit there. Not too long after that dismissal, uh, the second dismissal, we saw uh, five wides 
um, bowled. I think that was from Latte, and then the wide the next ball. So they effectively scored six off, uh, well, without facing a ball. And I think that just got the the English into motion a little bit. And then at the other end, Nat Siver hit that cover drive through beating what was a pretty tight gap um, for a, a well earned boundary because she did kind of you know grit her teeth a little bit. That's when they got rolling. The confidence came back, and it was normal transmission, I think, for for the English. How important today was it for for Thailand to to keep it tight with the ball and in the field? Because I think today was it wasn't exactly the performance in the, in the field or with the ball that we've come to see from Thailand, and it wasn't very wasn't a very typical performance from Thailand in that respect. Yeah, the thing with Thailand is, and and we've definitely seen this in the past, is is they're a fielding team, and that's their strength. And as as Nishad alluded to, you know, their game plan is to to bowl well and to squeeze teams. And you know, having having a team two for seven after the first couple of overs, that's a fantastic start. And and as you said, letting the pressure off allowed the English to get back into it. And and obviously, you know, Nat Siver and and Heather Knight are two world class players. And watching them bat today was just a a, a masterclass. And the way they started off, you know, they were a bit more defensive because you know, they were on the back foot, as as you said. You know, the, the <laughs> I'm sure the the English dressing room uh, resembled the, the press box a little bit after those first two wickets, a- and you know, seeing Thailand give away wides and and just be a bit sloppy in the field and you know give up a, a full toss here and there and just let them sort of ease back into it and then really step on the accelerator late in the innings and and get going. It was it was a really well constructed innings from England but it showed I guess the the golf in class in that the English are just always on and you know even if you're under the pump at two for seven they are able to play a a glorious cover drive and and you know get the pressure off a little bit whereas Thailand you know they they can send down a few good balls and you know they they can field well but they need to keep up that intensity and that's the big difference between a a top class team and and an associate team I guess. There were glimpses in today's game which proved to many people, and we've known this for a long time following Thailand and the associate game, and Anisha would agree that with the glimpses, it's proof that the tyres certainly have the quality technically. Um, from a mindset perspective, they're actually quite disciplined with, with the bat. Nick, you made a really good point in the in the West Indies game the other day where you know we actually think they'd be quite a good team playing the longer formats because they, they seem to have good discipline. They know when to let a ball go, they know when to defend and they know when to push on as, as Nick is struggling there, sipping his water here next to me. To, to pick up on that again, there were glimpses which to me proves that there's a ceiling that Thailand can definitely reach and they're not at that ceiling yet but through continued games, added exposure on the international stage and, and Nish is nodding uh, next to me, that there is proof there that, and I think it's it's proof when some of the people who have been outside associate cricket from full members are making comments like, you know, this is fantastic cricket, but to get to a new level, they need to do this, this and this. And generally you find with feedback like that is, people don't bother with feedback if they don't think someone's capable of doing something amazing. It, that feedback comes from knowing that there's potential there and that there's definitely an ability and a class that Thailand can reach, you know, in the next couple of years. And this is just the, the next level for them. We know the story. And, and Nishad, at some point, you could probably explain it a little bit better. In fact, you know, you've written numerous articles about the growth of cricket in Thailand and the way that it has grown. But this is a new frontier for them. And for them to, 
to jump up again to that next level. It does take this exposure and making the most of those half chances you get, you know, having a team two for seven and, and putting the pressure on, putting the squeeze on and making sure you don't relieve the pressure with five wides and then a four off the next over and then a couple of sixes. I remember Nat Siver got a full toss on the waist, put it away with with relative ease and that just relieves all the pressure that you build up just with a couple of bad balls. You know, you can get away with, you know, bowling four good balls and two bad balls in some associate games because those bad balls aren't put away and Natalia Buchanson um, mentioned that when we talked to her after the game as well but here at that next level you bowl a bad ball you get punished yeah and and looking I guess at a a more sort of structural level it's no coincidence that the best associate women's teams sorry the the best women's teams are the richest boards who can afford to subsidize it and you you look at the English setup and they're mostly professional and they have a a good domestic league and the Australians same thing you know they've got the women's big bash which is in in many ways leading the way for women's cricket and they they have that level of practice and they have that level of professionalism that you know (laughs) you, you look at the amount of money that Cricket Australia can invest into cricket compared to what Thailand has it's you know it's not even a comparison and and so there's there's that which is pretty hard to overcome and and you know just just in terms of the ability for Thailand to to make that next step what I have been really encouraged about is as we've looked at what you know what Nish was saying with the the plans around the the, the toss and you know their their bowling plans and their batting plan they have plans and they they're strategizing really effectively it's not just a case of the you know oh we're happy to be here and we'll just go out and see what happens they they're trying to win games and and that's really impressive and they they're not quite executing it to you know to use the 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 cliched but if they did i think they would have had england in in a bit more trouble we talk about Thailand actually endeavouring to, to try and win a game. And in associate cricket, it happens a lot because there are plenty of positive stories coming out of associate cricket. But what we want to get behind is, is to see teams like Thailand win matches against full members. And, you know, it's all well and good for us to sit around and say, you know, that was a positive performance. You know, it's really good to see such and such playing on the world stage. But Thailand aren't using this for a holiday. Thailand are using this because for them to get better, this is what they need to do. To, to get better is to play against full member opposition and play against some of the world's best. And they're, they're not making any excuses. They they sat here today and they were the first people to admit that, yeah, we, we dropped the ball figuratively and literally there in one case. They know that, you know, they need to get the fundamentals right all the time. And, and you just can't, you can't get away with, with stuff like poor bowling and, and poor fielding. Um, and, and Buttercham in the, in the chat that we had with her, even with the bat, she said, look, there, there's no easy ones anymore we can't just you know put one into into a gap and and take an easy one anymore because you know someone's there waiting and and picking up and and throwing the stumps down from short mid wicket as we saw with one of the dismissals today to talk about the batting uh just quickly because i do want to talk to you nishad about uh nick's point about you know having scarce funds and and making the most with what you've got nishad how did you assess the way that thailand went about their batting you know they batted out the 20 overs um, we saw Natick and Chanton play a, a couple of really nice shots. It was actually a little bit Heather Knight-esque, the way she went about with those square drives where she came down the track and hit square through point really well. We saw a few more positives in the middle order. I thought Chaiwai was, was good. Koncharonkai was was good and solid and played a couple of really nice shots. Um, a bit of a soft dismissal in the end. But it did look like they were learning almost on the fly there. They saw, almost saw the way that Heather Knight batted and, and came out positively 
Um, and, and today was all about new things for Thailand again, you know, uh, for Chant and she was able to go down the track a couple of times, but then, you know, the keeper came up off, you know, quicker bowling and she wasn't allowed that time to, to go down the track and wasn't allowed that freedom and had to play off the back foot. She did play one really good cut shot, which went to the boundary, but did find it a little bit more difficult. We talk about all these new experiences, you know, with ball and bat, and there's just no quarter given by full member opposition. Um, what did you notice from from the batting side of things, Nishad? So I, I just wanted to make one one point about the bowling, and it's perhaps a tactical point, and it can be interpreted in a couple of ways. If you look back at Thailand's uh, record in qualification for tournaments such as this, they've really had four bowlers, four spearheads that have taken them through and bowled teams out. Uh, and they are uh, Nataya Buchatam, the captain, Sonar and Tipoch, Chanida Sutiruang and Sulipon Laumi, who's the leg spinner. Now, when they had uh, England at seven for two in the second over, uh, rather than bring on one of those strike bowlers, Chanida being being one option, perhaps she's opened the bowling generally, uh, they went for Soraya Latte, who bowled well in the first uh, first game against the Windies, but is not has not traditionally been known as a as a strike baller for Thailand. So uh, there's a question perhaps tactically around what you do in situations like this against quality opposition when you're in the when you're uh, on top. Do you go to your strike baller and try and get uh, you know a Heather Knight out as she's starting her innings? Because by the time someone like Chanida came on and Sulipon came on, they they Sulipon in particular bowled well, but you had Heather Knight and and Nat Skyvon know 50 odd each and they could just kind of work the ball around and nullify her threat and i think perhaps thailand missed a, a beat there in sticking with plan pre-game plans that they'd already set um but going to the batting uh yeah i was speaking with natakan chantam after the game and um i think one of the observations she made is that at this level uh teams are able to work you out a lot quicker so you know in a matter of balls in a matter of overs they know uh, and of course they have background footage as well they know where your strong shots are and they're able to adjust their bowling and execute consistently to prevent you from playing those shots so you know Natakan uh she started off with uh, a number of shots through the offside when she was given room and and scored a couple of boundaries there but then very quickly the english brought on uh, i think it was eccleston the left arm spinner uh and the leggy and they just cramped her for room uh, and the dots built built up and by the time she was out she had a strike rate of about 60 so um it's this kind of experience at this level where you're playing against sides who who can watch uh technique and watch players know exactly uh, what is required and bring on uh, bowlers or just fields to respond to that um, and change the game that you just don't see at the associate level. And I think that's what they're up against today. And yeah, going back to that that bowling and fielding performance, and actually I, I tried to make note of what Sonner and Tipoka was doing a lot of the time because marshalling the troops, she, even when Knight and Silver were were going, you know, ballistic. She seemed to have a relative control in the field, you know, marshalling her troops on the fly. The bowling changes, I thought, were, yeah, that that 
that was an interesting point. It was probably a good problem that Sonnerin probably didn't realize she would have at that point. And yeah, you're right. You, you, there's two, you know, ideas. There's two trains of thought there. You either stick to your hot hand or see if you can get an over out of someone else. But yeah, when when Buchetam came on later, it was probably a little bit too late in hindsight. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing in a situation like this because the way that that Knight went about her business in particular. Uh, you know, there's a very good chance that you could bowl anyone in that situation and, and the same result could have occurred. Um, they, The Thailand have definitely, you know, built their success on, on the bowling and fielding and the batting, I, I would say, wasn't necessarily exposed per se today, but it, it proves again our theory that for associate cricket, it's bowling is, is the easier craft to uh, hone out of the two. Batting seems to be a little bit more nuanced to the point where you need that match practice and you need that experience to really flourish. You know, you look at the way, even across all international cricket, across full member and associate cricket and across both men and women's cricket, batsmen mature at a much later age than than bowlers coming through. You have bowlers who come out and burst onto the scene when they're really young, but sometimes it takes uh, batters, you know, to, to reach their their early 30s before they really flourish and they really understand their own game and they know when they can get one when they need one and then they have a get out shot when they need to get themselves out of trouble. Thailand here, you know, haven't really had a situation like this before and they're they're trying to manufacture shots, you know, when they need upwards of 8, 10, 12, eventually 14, 20 runs and over and it's an experience that they've never had before. We have a couple more games left for Thailand in this campaign. They take on South Africa and they take on Pakistan. But you can easily see where the growth and the, and the learning has come from in the first two games. And you would think that by the end of it, Thailand are going to know their games much, much better than when they first came over, especially in the batting. Well, this is something um, across a lot of associate cricket. It reminds me of talking to some of the, the Japanese staff uh, when I was seeing... Uh, w- watching them prep in Brisbane against some some Brisbane club sides, and, and you know they were saying, you know, you, you, it's one thing to teach skills, and Thailand are a, a very well drilled side, and they they're very disciplined, and you know they, they they do a lot of practice, but one of the things you can't really teach is just match awareness and and having that sort of game sense, which the English did really well, and and they have a, a sort of a, an intuitive understanding or, or grasp of, as you said, you know they can see that a batsman is strong through the offside and. Let me just, for a moment, wax lyrical about um, Natakan Chantam's cover drive. I honestly, she, she she looks like Victor Trumper. No word of the lie. Like charging down the pitch with the massive backlift. If you if you took a picture of that, you could frame it and and it would put it side by side with Victor Trumper, and you would compare favourably. Um, as you as you guys said, you know they they work out that she's she's strong through that region, and then they just strangle her and and don't give her that that release shot, and. You know, it, it's just a case of, of a lack of resources because, um, you know, you, it was a good point from Nish about um, Tipoch, but overall, um, even if she had brought on a strike bowler, you know, maybe something would have gone differently. But ultimately, the the players she has are not as good, and, and that's just a fact, you know. And, and when you're a team trying to beat a better team, 
Um, yes, you have to be on your game all the time, and and they were a bit sloppy, and and that wasn't that wasn't good. But you know, you, you need to basically you need to ambush them and, and sow a bit of panic. And they tried to do that really effectively, but they they didn't. So I, I think they they tried and they knew what they were trying to do, but the the skill just overwhelmed them. Um, to make a football analogy, I remember watching a game between um, Real Madrid and Bilbao. And Bilbao were a really good, you know, well-drilled side and, and they were passing smoothly and, and they had good plans and they were, they were working well as a unit. But Real Madrid just overwhelmed them with talent and the, the individual players weren't playing particularly well as a team and they weren't even playing to their potential, but they were just so much better that it didn't matter that they were having an off day. And, and that's sort of what it's like with, with Thailand is that even if they play, you know, they're good and, and they're very well drilled, and but they, they just don't quite have that, that level of talent that a Heather Knight has. And, and it's hard to, to try and compete on that level. We talk about it a little bit with Thailand and a few other associate countries in that they play good team cricket. And generally that comes from the spirit that actually comes from the field and from the 11, the collective 11 players building this sort of cauldron-like atmosphere where as a batter on the opposition team, you're wondering where your next run is coming from. And it, and it happens a little bit more at club cricket as well. It's like when you stem the flow and you play on average grounds with slow outfields and bad wickets, you know, a, a total of 100 feels like 200 in, in T20 cricket. And that's when, you know, you push you push a team into the ground just through sheer weight of, of pressure and, and tight bowling. And then for Thailand, they come here to a World Cup and, and all the factors are different, you know. The pitches are belters, you know. They've just gone from playing in some parts of the associate world to then playing at the Wacker against the West Indies where, you know, historically for everyone, it is the most alien pitch for foreign teams to come and play in Australia. And granted, it was a neutral game. The West Indies played there. But I'm sure the West Indies had a little bit more experience something like that. To come here to, to Monica, and I actually thought that wicket had a little bit of life in it. It looked a little bit greener than the usual Monica surface where it tends to play a little bit slower and lower. And when we did talk to, to Natalia Buchatam, she actually said the same thing. She didn't see much difference between here and the Wacker. Nishad, they play here at Monica again on Friday against South Africa, and then they do move to the Sydney showground, which is historically st- slow and low. You know, we saw what India did to Australia on the first day of the tournament, which I think would would encourage, you know, your players. When you guys uh, planned your tournament and you looked at these surfaces, but also knew you were playing against other international teams and, and, and not facing a home team like Australia, what was the idea... What were the adjustments that you thought you guys had to make in terms of playing in, in Australian conditions? Because they are rather alien to a lot of other teams, but for Thailand, I would think that it's a bigger jump than, than most of the other teams here. Yeah, that, I mean, that's probably a question better put to the, the, the coaches and the management staff. But from what I understand, there's been a lot of work done on playing quicker bowlers, uh, a lot of work done on the short ball, which is something you just don't see at the associate level. Uh, players or bowlers bowling at you know 115, 120, 125. Uh, so a lot of work against under 19 male bowlers in India. Uh, a lot of bowling machine work, particularly with the with the top order. Uh, and I and my personal. Uh, 
I guess, interpretation of what I've seen is that there's a lot of work put in with the top five or six batsmen to get them to a level where they're able to to uh, to compete against bowlers of this level. Uh, and what we've seen in the two games is that Thailand have got starts. They've been able to get to 40, 45 for one off 10 overs, going at 4.5 and over. So at the top, they're, they're able to compete, and then they've kind of crumbled... Um, you know, post six or seven. So there's still a lot of work to be done with batting depth. Um, but uh, really, I mean, a lot more work has gone into into the tactical side of this. And if you uh, hear from Harshal Parak, he, he's, who's the head coach, he's always talking about match awareness. He's always talking about knowing your plans and executing your plans. And, and a lot of work has also gone into... Uh, how to deal with the big occasion, how to remain calm, how to block out, you know, all of the inevitable distractions of, of being at a World Cup. But as uh, as Nick was saying about something else earlier, these are things that you can't really teach. You know, they, they come from experience. And um, one of the comments made after the first game by, by some of the management was that, well, if we're, if we're ever going to compete against... Uh, England and Australia and India, West Indies, etc. Uh, we just have to find regular game time for these players at this level. Uh, and and you know it's cre- it's a credit to the Cricket Association of Thailand that they have already you know one or two games into the World Cup started to think about how they will do that going forward. How they will get players like Natakan Chantam playing uh, bowlers of this caliber week in, week out. Uh, and there's a number of strategies that have been floated, which perhaps we can talk about. Um, and I should say, I, I'm, I'm speaking here now, not as a member of the of the Thailand team, but as a as an EC person, an EC man, EC commentator. <laughs> it is a distinction. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. So you guys have already planned a, a tour against Ireland, the Netherlands, and Zimbabwe. You know, to think that, a few years ago that Thailand would be hosting uh, a T20 series or any sort of international series that contains two full members and probably one of the best associate members outside that full membership in the Netherlands just goes to show how meteoric this rise has been. Um, to kind of finish on the, the point of Thailand to now, you know, because we have got a couple of other things to, to discuss on this podcast and we'll keep you around, Nish, because because you're a, a, a valued contributor. Uh, and Nish, you've just shown me that Pakistan have just defeated the West Indies in that other pool game tonight, which doesn't exactly bode well for you guys because you guys were targeting that Pakistan match as, as the one you wanted to win that final match. But to to wrap up Thailand for, at least for tonight, and we'll talk about Thailand you know, at length forever because this story is one of the best stories we're going to see in associate cricket, you know, for for a long long time what's been the biggest part of the development that you've seen personally you've been around the setup a little bit both inside the camp and outside looking in as as a critic but also someone that's just kept a keen eye on on the progress you know you've probably seen thailand cricket at its infancy and now to to see them at a world cup Looking back at just that ridiculous rise to a World Cup, you know, we're sitting here at, at a global event and Thailand are competing at it. 
you know, I'm sure you would look back at a time when you would have thought, you know, if this was happening, you you would be dreaming. Yeah, it it would have been unimaginable, uh, even four or five years ago. And I think a lot of credit has to go to the Cricket Association of Thailand uh, and to the Sports Authority of Thailand, who have, uh, in in more recent times, backed the association with financial support and in-kind support, access to facilities, etc. But there's been real foresight uh, from uh, particular individuals in Thailand, Shan Kada, who's the who's the uh, de- development manager of the Cricket Association, uh, being one of them, uh, and what they've done is been able to develop, been able to put together a high performance program, uh, which uh, is backed up by uh, contracts for the players, and and we heard earlier or recently, just before the start of the World Cup, that. 11 of the players are now contracted and and we know that with the Asian Games with cricket being included in the Asian Games I think in 2021 that the uh, Thai government has co- has committed additional funding to support the women's team to 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 get a medal in that tournament um so that the financial backing that has allowed the players to be full-time players has been absolutely vital but the associations also recognized uh that they need to get the players outside of Thailand where the level of domestic competition is still negligible even even in the women's game there's not much that much happening um, and they've got the, the 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 technical staff in so Harshal Patak you know being a an elite coach someone who's coached Harmanpreet Kaur uh, who's uh, been with the National Cricket Academy in India and has also been with the Ranji side um, and uh, the the other point is is and this point is really not made very often uh, in the context of this story is that the particular individual players that have progressed in the last ten years are very talented. They're very talented individuals, very talented cricketers, and uh, they they seem to no. It's been a lot. It's been a tough couple of games, but they seem to raise their their level of cricket at each hurdle um and and you know when they've succumbed it, it took them two or three three world cup qualifiers to actually make it the associations backed them has had confidence in them as individuals um and and here so here they are um but I, there's still a long way to go i mean uh there's there's much more need for for competition in the side uh, there's need for a stronger pathway from the under-19s and the academies uh, uh, into the senior side. And now there's need for some of these players to be playing overseas, to be picked up, you know, perhaps in the Big Bash, perhaps in the in the women's IPL and some of those other T20 competitions because um, that's, that's, yeah, that's what's required for them to, to stay at this level. Um, and, you know, we've seen all too often in associate cricket because of the frailty of the financial situation, that teams peak and then they they um, they fall. You know, Kenya, Bermuda, good examples, and and we really hope that doesn't happen with this with this story as well. Yeah, well, a lot of underlying themes that we talk about at length here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, and you wrapped it up so succinctly there so i think that's probably a great place to to wrap up the thailand chat 
They play South Africa and Pakistan in their last two group games here in Australia. The first game uh, against South Africa, that's on Friday here in Canberra. So they'll spend a couple more days here and then they'll travel to Sydney by plane, I'm told, which is interesting. I would have thought a road trip via bus would be a little bit better for for team spirit up to up to Sydney but no the uh, half hour flight with an extra half hour of uh, safety checks and and seat belt chat uh, will will go on instead let's move on and talk about the ACC Asia Cup qualifiers which have uh, been going on over the last couple of days at least on the western side the eastern side begin on the 29th and the biggest story to come out of the tournament so far is that Oman the only Asian associate team to qualify for the T20 World Cup later this year, on the men's side, of course, have been bundled out in the group stage after losing to Qatar and then Bahrain uh, joining Qatar in the top two of that group. Uh, Plenty of things going on there. Uh, Nick, a, a good point to make here is that we've seen some more net run rate madness, which our friend Bertus de Jong has alerted us to because, you know, if we get to those infinitesimal decimal points, uh, it could one day be the difference between a team going out and a, and a team going through. We saw PNG at World Cricket League 2 last year uh, go through and become a one-day side in a similar situation to this where net run rate was, was so tight. But to see Oman bundle out, and, and of course we don't like to see a team fail per se, but to see a team who was qualified for a World Cup this year uh, usurped by two teams in this group, it just shows you that the buzzword, parity, it's well and truly strong in uh, in golf, Middle Eastern cricket. Well, just looking at um, you know who, who beat who, Oman absolutely thrashed Bahrain, um, bowled them out for 80-odd and then chased it in about 13 overs. And then, and then Bahrain managed to hunt down Qatar's total in about eleven overs, and and you know overcome them so that they both got into the um, the semi-finals, and so it, it was a great um, little tournament here and, and some really exciting cricket. But just on the net run rate point, the 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 key problem that we see, and you know this is Burtis de Jong speaking uh, through me, as as I've been studying. <laughs> I've been um, looking at. Uh, he, he's been teaching me how to how to you know, put together a net run rate chart. Um, and basically, the the issue is that runs scored after the the target is reached are still counted for net run rate. So uh, that means basically, if if you hit a boundary to to score the winning runs, you get uh, a couple of extra runs to your net run rate total. Which, when it comes down to you know two or three decimal places to to determine who uh, qualifies. It, it it becomes an issue, and looking at that game with with Qatar and Bahrain, if Bahrain had hit a four instead of a six to win the game, they would have been second in the group, uh, and and they would have been playing against the UAE instead of Qatar, and obviously Qatar ended up uh, losing that game against the UAE because the UAE are a, are a stronger team. So this is you know these are the margins of, of of these tournaments, and when you when you get to a situation where you know, if Qatar had bowled a dot ball to, to finish out that over, their best move would have been to bowl five wides in, in the next in the next over to, to start the next over, which is a ridiculous situation to be in, because that would have um you know that would have put them through a net run rate. So I think the ICC uh, needs to look at this, and and I mean the the simple solution is basically just to make it that the the runs 
the runs beyond the target don't actually count for net run rate. So, so there is no, you know, fiddling around with, um, you know, who, who, you know, if you hit a six on this or, or whatever. But it seems like the ICC probably needs a, a shock result to to start thinking about how their rules play out, as we we saw with the boundary count back. Um, I, I've done the numbers, so if <laughs> we are getting niche, but so Bahrain uh, would have qualified for the semis up until 15.2 overs if they'd scored 112 runs, that is, scores tied plus a six. Um, but if they'd scored 107, so scores tied plus one, the cutoff was 14.5, so that's three extra balls. And in terms of leapfrog in Qatar, they had until 12.3 overs if they scored 112, but only uh, 11.4 overs if they scored 107. So that's that's a gap of almost an over, which you know, in, in these tournaments is, is pretty significant. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely think this is something that we need to look at. Uh, we've got a time limit here, Nick, so I'm glad you've wrapped that up. To, to all of those who are still listening after all that net run rate chat, I salute you. Uh, Nishad, I do want to ask you about the Eastern side. Thailand are competing uh, on the men's side here. The Thailand women have, have taken all the attention in Thailand cricket. And understandably, you know, they're at a World Cup. You know, they're making new strides every day, breaking new ground, all of that stuff. What can you tell us about the uh, the Thai international men's team? This tournament is interesting in the sense that uh, some of the uh, newer teams, Myanmar, China and Bhutan are not participating. And so it will be played as a league format and Thailand will have four games uh, against more illustrious opposition. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the um, the mid-90s and early 2000s uh, when uh, Malaysia used to host the Tunku Jafar series at under 13 up to un- up to senior level. It was Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Hong Kong. Uh, that played in those. Uh, so I, I mean, going bo- going back to this particular tournament and and the Thai team, uh, it is a familiar squad. Uh, so about seven players are uh, uh, Thai nationals, uh, born born in Thailand and have learnt all of their cricket in Thailand. Have come through the development programs. Um, some very experienced. Wanchana Yusuk. Uh, who has played in the uh, Singapore T20 comps, as has Vichanat Singh, the captain, left-arm orthodox. Uh, they've got... Uh, uh, the other half of their side is um, a group of, of, of expats uh, living in Bangkok, some who've played in, in South Africa uh, in the rep, uh, the junior rep uh, tournaments there. It's a, it's a decent side. Um, Navid Patan is uh, a Pakistani... Uh, player living in Thailand, uh, he scored some runs in the tri series last year against the Maldives and and Malaysia. Um, I think they will uh, run teams close, and I'm thinking particularly Hong Kong at the moment are not looking very strong. Uh, the Malaysian Air Force side, uh, which includes the majority of their national team, really toured Thailand in December, and uh, they shared a series with the Thai national team. So it's it's not a bad team. Uh, I don't see them coming out of this tournament, but uh, and I, and you know they'll struggle against I think Nepal and Singapore. But um, yeah, they they may they may sneak a win here. Uh, just in that group, Hong Kong and, and Malaysia, two teams in that eastern group. They actually played each other in a T20 Interport series 
over the last week or so. Uh, we'll wrap that properly next week once we have Tim Cutler back on the podcast because I'm sure he'll have plenty to say about Hong Kong's plights there. Malaysia too strong. It was a 5-0 drubbing. Uh, some more news as we head to the end of our show tonight. A news out of Oman. Uh, Omani cricketer Abdul Rahim Al-Balushi has been banned for seven years by the ICC. Uh, he accepted four charges of breaching the ICC anti-corruption code, uh, which relate to charges uh, back in January, but they were from the ICC World Cup qualifier in UAE late last year. Uh, a couple of those breaches include uh, being a party to an agreement or effort to fix or contrive in any way the result, progress, conduct, or any other aspect of matches, attempting to solicit, induce, entice, persuade, encourage, or intentionally facil- uh, facilitate a participant to breach uh, the earlier article and then failing to report any other approaches as well. So not a great story out of Oman, but full credit to the ACU for for finding this and stamping it out relatively early. Uh, looks as if... Uh, it was all nipped in the bud rather quickly. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that essentially uh, he was trying to corrupt other Omanis and to to get them to 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 match fix basically um, to to you know deliberately underperform in exchange for money. Um, so I'm glad they've banned him. Um, I mean, I'm all for banning people for life, but that's me. Um, the Omanis didn't take the bait, and and I think we have to go back to the the resources available. The Omani players uh, generally are, are paid uh, quite a lot more than, than many other associates. Um, so, you know, if if someone's corruptly trying to offer them money, the the um, Omani players already have a lot more money than perhaps the, the fixers can offer them, which is the difference. And, and this is the thing with associate cricket is that most of the time they're more vulnerable, partly because they're not educated so much, but also partly just because the amount of money that they're seeing from, from associate cricket is, is so small. And you know that that got me thinking um, about how how it works for you guys, Nish. And, and I know you've you've had a couple of um, ACU briefings, um, so I, I'd be very interested to hear about it. You know, inside the the Thailand camp. Yeah, I, I haven't actually been in those briefings, but we've and there hasn't been too much talk about it uh, in in team meetings, as far as I've seen. I haven't attended all of them, but. Um, I, I do know that at the ACU briefings, um, the team management have been shown photographs of, uh, yeah, uh, serial offenders, fixers, really, who have, as I'm, uh, as I understand it, have already approached particular players in 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 other teams uh, at this World Cup. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see that uh you know, the ICC are, are being and I'm sure they've they've been like this for a long time being proactive about uh about this issue um and trying to do as much as possible to educate teams not only about the the seriousness of the of the issue but also uh, uh around some of the specifics, you know, how how it happens who these people are, what their motivations are, etc. And, and you know, as Nick said, uh, associate teams are particularly vulnerable um, uh, to this to this kind of thing. Um, yeah, at, at the same time, um, you know, 
just going back to the the Thailand women's team, this is a team that's put in blood, sweat, and tears for so many years, uh, and has sacrificed a lot. Really, they 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 cricket has given them everything, um, and they've given everything to cricket. So it's very difficult to see them getting uh, g- getting caught into this kind of not not suggesting that they ever would, but um, yeah, it's just something that. It doesn't even come into into the realm of possibility, really, with this this women's team. It's a great point about associate cricketers being potentially more vulnerable purely by how much money they do earn in the sport. And for anyone who is interested in uh, this situation and and the issues at hand, I do recommend a piece from Peter Delapena actually, who interviewed Hamza Tariq, um, the the Canada wicketkeeper, who talked about. Um, being approached while playing in, I believe it was India, yeah, in 2011 in that World Cup, um, where he was uh, approached by um, a few sinister people with some uh, not so great uh, intentions. But I do recommend um, having a look at that because that uncovers, you know, the the deep truths about match fixing in, in cricket and spot fixing as well because it is rife in the in the sport. You know, let's not pretend it's not. Um, and for the associate game, it, it is a little bit easier to be exposed by it purely by the the lack of earnings a number of these um, players from, from several countries earn in the associate game. So hopefully um, the anti-corruption unit is, is stamping out everything uh, and, and taking a, a really proactive role in all of it. And it sounds like if this Al Belushi case is uh, anything to go by, it sounds like they're uh, hitting the ground running, which is good to see. Thank you for having us here in your room here, Nishad, for for recording this week's Emerging Cricket Podcast. There are a few things that we didn't get to tonight that we will talk about next week. Uh, the Island Wolves Namibia series in South Africa is also wrapped up with uh, the Island Wolves taking a 4-1 victory there. Uh, we'll look at that in more detail next week as as well as some Challenge League stuff, which is coming up as well. A few teams have named their squads for, for that leg coming up in the near future. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast to keep up with news and events from Cricket's New World. Make sure to visit EmergingCricket.com and follow us on both Facebook and and Twitter, as well as Instagram. Uh, I should add Instagram as well. Uh, For now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and Nick Skinner, and Nishad Rego, it's a very good day to wherever you are in the emerging cricket world.